The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter 20. And our subject is the delusion of the devil. And this is the 11th part of our series, and it's been this long time, and, and that helps you to understand why I'm so happy that we will get to talk about heaven. And we're looking here in Revelation chapter 20 at the judgment of all of those who have fallen prey to the deceitfulness of Satan. And these are people that bought into the religion of lies and of tricks and nefarious tactics that the devil uses to fool people. And the devil has one objective, and that is to stop the glory of God from filling his creation. It was God's design in the creation that when he created man, that man would be the chief means by which God would receive his glory. Uh, Many of the great confessions of faith begin exactly that way. What is the chief end of man? And that is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. If that's God's design, then you can be sure that what Satan wants to do is to mar God's design. Uh, If man's purpose is to glorify God, then what Satan wants to do is to stop you from glorifying God. Uh, Satan tries to stop us from... from, Receiving Christ as Savior, he wants us to reject the Creator. And that's what Satan did with the first man. That's what he did with Adam in the Garden of Eden. It's what he did with Job when he tried everything in his power to get Job to turn away from the Lord God. It's what he did with the kings of Israel as he tempted them into idolatry. It's what he did with those who crucified the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is the same thing that Satan does with you and me. And it's only by the grace and the power of the sovereign God that we would be kept from the ruination that the rest of the race is involved with. Satan is as hard at this today as he's ever been. And so what he does all across the world is to incite people to evil and to reject the one true living God. Now here's the problem with all of that, and that is that we are not innocent victims of Satan's lies. We're not innocent victims of sin We were born in sin. And since we're born in sin, we are naturally against God. And so we're ready at any time to follow the devil's deceit. And so Satan, all that Satan really needs to do is just use what's already in us. That is our depravity and keep us blinded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so our nature that's in us is actually a breeding ground for all sorts of evil. And this is why there is evil all across the world, because of the human nature, and Satan incites that human nature against God. And so what he does, he comes and he plants more seeds of rebellion in us without telling us that every seed that he plants is going to grow up into more judgment that God's going to impose upon those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. Now this passage in Revelation is about judgment. It's about the judgment where all unbelievers will appear. And this is information that Satan wants to hide from you. He doesn't really want you to know this. But here we have it in Scripture, in God's Word, in black and white, exactly what God is going to do. And so before God closes out His divine revelation, He tells us what will happen to those who believe in Jesus Christ and those who don't believe 
in him. Now, I'm passionate about this subject, and so I hope you'll excuse the passion somewhat today as we talk about this, but it is a very, very serious subject that we're looking into. So this passage is about judgment, the judgment where all unbelievers are going to appear. Now, our study, then, is the judgment of unbelievers. What's going to happen to those who believe Satan's lies and reject the Son of God? This is what we read about in Revelation 20. So let's look here at the 10th verse. Let, let's just stand. Let's, let's stand as we did last week. This is an important text. All of the Word of God is extremely important, but uh, our standing will help us, I hope, just to put some strong emphasis on what's said here. Verse number 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us to see the seriousness of it today. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior, they will pay very, very close attention to what's said. And for believers, too, those who claim belief, that we, we, we would be sure, absolutely sure, in our hearts that we do know you as Savior because this is what happens to those that are found in unbelief. Bless this message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I want to continue our study from last week, but I want to remind you that at the part that we're reading here, you see in verse number 10 that Satan is gone. Satan here has already met his destruction. Uh, the Bible says that he is going to be put into the lake of fire and brimstone. And that's very important for us to see because what follows here is not something that Satan does. Uh, Satan is not the one who puts people in hell but rather, God is the one who judges those who do not believe in him. It's God who is the judge, and he is the one who condemns. Satan has never been in control of hell. Neither does he keep people in hell. But he's going to be thrown into hell himself, where he has no power at all to torment or do anything to anybody. So whatever takes place in hell is what happens at the hand of Almighty God. God is the one who inflicts the punishment of hell. All of that torment comes from him. And the Bible teaches that God is never going to excuse the wicked. He's never going to overlook sin. He said that he will condemn the wicked. In Job chapter 21, it says, Have you not asked them that go by the way, and do you not know their tokens? That the wicked is reserved to the day of destruction. They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. Now, whatever you think about God, whatever you think that God is, this is something that you need to see. And if you don't think that God would do these things, 
you need to readjust your thinking because this is who he is. He never compromises with evil. He never clears the guilty. Sin has to be punished. And the only way that it can be punished, or the only way I should say that you can escape the punishment, is that you have someone to take that punishment for you, that you have believed in Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, and the death of Christ is the thing that is the punishment for your sins if you believe in Him. Now, to reject the one, to reject Christ, who stepped down from glory, to go to the cross, to suffer hell on the cross, is the ultimate offense against God. You cannot do anything that is worse than to hear about Jesus Christ and then to reject the truth of what he did on the cross. God is not going to stand for that. God is going to judge all who do not believe. Now this is where we started last week in the message. We began with point number one, which is the inclusion in the judgment. And here in our text it says that the small and the great will stand before God. And that is a statement of inclusion. It says that no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter who your parents are, no matter how bad your life has been or how good that you think your life has been, no matter how poor you are or how rich you are or how in between you are, no matter how famous that you are or how obscure you are, no matter how well-liked you are or disliked you are, whether you are advantaged or disadvantaged, it makes no difference all who do not believe in Jesus Christ are going to be at this judgment. Now, to make that very simple for you, this judgment includes all, all who have not made a definite, pointed, convicted, convinced admission that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died to save people from sins. And this is for people who have not committed themselves to him as the Lord of their lives. They are going to be judged. Now next we discuss the criteria for judgment. There are books, the Word says. Here the Bible says that there are books that are opened. And God has a record of everything. He has a record of everything that every person has ever done since the very beginning when you were born. All of that is written in God's record books. He doesn't forget anything. And there are at least three books that God is going to use for judgment. The first one, I think, would be the most obvious to you, and that is the Bible. And shouldn't we expect that? Wouldn't we expect God to use His Word because His Word tells us who He is? The Word tells us what God expects from us. The Word contains God's commandments. The Word tells us the difference between right and wrong. And that is the standard that we're going to be judged by. What God says is right. What God says is wrong, that's what God is going to judge us by. So we ought to expect that God would do it. Someone has said that there are over 5,000 commands that are in the Bible. I don't know if that's accurate, but I do know that all of them can be summed up into 10 that God gave. And I do know this, that nobody has ever kept all of those 10, and none of us has ever kept any of them perfectly. And that is the criteria by which God is going to judge us. We must be perfect in our in our keeping of God's law, or a penalty has to be paid for every command that we break. And there's only one penalty that's given in Scripture. There's only one punishment, and that is the punishment of hell. And if that's the penalty, then you have to pay it. And all those who are at this judgment do not have their sins paid for. 
Now you heard me right when I said that, that Christ has paid no penalty for sin for anybody that's in hell, because if he had, they wouldn't be there. And then God uses a second book, and this is the book of works. That's the record of everything that you have done. It's going to be compared to the Bible, which tells you all the things that you should do and the things that you should not do. And the book of works is going to say what you did do. What, in fact, did you do? And this book is going to prove all along that what God said is right, that there is none righteous, no, not one. Now, I know that religion tells you that the way to get to heaven is to be good, and if you'll just be good enough, then all will be well. And then God will just swing open the pearly gates for you. Let me help you with that. That's one of the devil's delusions. That is a lie from the devil. Because God said that you are not righteous. And God said that you cannot be righteous without the work of Jesus Christ. And so it's his work that counts, not yours. It's what Christ did that counts. And so if you depend upon yourself to get to heaven, that goal is lost before you ever start. Because it can't happen. It won't happen. Someone has said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I don't think that they meant to state a theological maxim, but they found one anyway. Because any good that anyone tries to do is worth nothing. No penance, no sacraments, no offerings, no good intentions ever got anybody into heaven. And then there's a third book that God uses, and that's the book of life. And this is an interesting book because... This is a book that God wrote before he ever created the world. He wrote down the names of those who would believe in him before he ever created the world. And God's going to use that book, and he's going to look it up and see if your name is in that book. And either your name is there or it's not. Now, the first reaction that we have when we hear that is that, well, if my name is, or somebody's name has been written in the book of life before the world was ever created, then what does it matter? What does it matter what I do? Well, I can tell you this, that if you think that way, if you have that opinion, then you can be sure your name's not there. If that's your opinion, your name's not there. But I'll tell you this, if you come and you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you believe in Him, I can promise you your name was there from the very beginning. And it's always been there. And the proof that it's there is that you received Christ. And so I can tell you right now, trust Christ, your name is in the book of life. God knows enough to know that. So I suggest for everyone here that you check your heart. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? Now, the never, devil never tells people this stuff. There are churches and preachers that won't give anybody this information. They'll preach about your potential, and they'll talk about your prosperity, but they won't tell you this because these are things that you really don't want to know. This is not what you want to hear about. Satan wants to keep you on the broad way, on that path to destruction, where you can wave and at everybody as you go by. You can take in all the sights and the sounds that are there, and you can live it up on that road. And as preachers want you to die as smug as a bug in a rug, just deliriously happy over the things of this world. But you're not going to get to heaven like that. The bad news that they're trying to keep away from you is the bad news that will ensure that you're going to receive bad news forever. If you reject Jesus Christ, there is nothing but bad news forever. Now that's where I want to bring you to today. In the rest of the sermon and for the next two weeks, I want to talk to you about the results of judgment. So thirdly, we look at the conclusion of judgment. This judgment has a purpose. 
And that purpose is to decide punishment. Now, it's not to decide if there will be punishment or where that punishment will take place. Now, God has prepared a prison for all those that are at this judgment a long, long time ago, and it's open for business to receive ones that are at this judgment. And if you have any idea that that's going to be different or that you can escape it in some way, then you need to put the devil's lie out of your head because it's not going to happen. Jesus said that you are not going to escape this judgment. Now, later on, we're going to talk about what hell is like. We'll see what the Bible says about hell itself, what the torments of hell are like. But before we get to that part, today I want to talk to you about something else that's really somewhat perplexing to us. And that is that there are going to be people in hell that we don't think ought to be there. There are going to be people in hell that maybe we can't imagine will actually be there. A while ago we talked about the book of works. Uh, That book is a a book that has the deeds of all that everybody has ever done in your entire life. And you can imagine that in that book there are going to be some things written where we see that some people are worse than others. That some people have committed worse sins than others or some are greater sinners than others. Our judicial system reflects the same. Not all criminals go to maximum security prisons. There are prisons where people commit horrible offenses. People are there because of terrible things that they have done. Jorge talked to us uh, last Sunday night about the prison that he visited. And it was one of those prisons where the prisoners there are so bad that they can't put them in other prisons because other prisoners would kill them because they, they even think the stuff they did is too bad. So this is a prison separate from all the others for special offenders. But not everybody's like that. Not everybody is that kind of offender, a violent offender, or things that people do in that prison. Some people get sent to medium security prisons because their crimes aren't as bad as others. Some of them are sent to minimum security prisons. You remember Martha Stewart, the homemaker. She was sent to prison, wasn't she? That was a minimum security prison because she was involved in white-collar crime. Now, the difference in prisons is a reflection of the severity of crimes. And that is actually a biblical principle because this is what God said. He said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Many people don't understand that saying. That simply means that punishment should fit the crime. And if our government, our judicial system knows to do that, the government or rather the the crime, the punishment fits the crime, then surely you would think that God knows that himself. And that God knows how to apply that principle better than we do. Now, most of us don't have any problem with this. We, we think that violent offenders, murderers and child molesters and rapists, they ought to be sent to the toughest prisons that there are. Those people ought to be locked away, never to see the light of day again. Keep them there. Don't let them out. And we really shouldn't have any problem when you have a very violent offender, a murderer, that we would say, okay, it's all right to execute that person. That's part of God's law, too. That it would be all right to execute that person. Send him to meet his maker as quickly as you can. We don't have any problem with that. Uh, We have no trouble with thinking that those kinds of people, those, the murderers, the rapists, and all those kinds of people, those are people that ought to be in the worst of prisons, and therefore we also think they ought to be in the worst part of hell. They deserve to go to hell. We have trouble with that. But we're faced with a problem, a perplexing problem, about those who have fairly good moral values, 
those that do good things, those that are not believers, and yet they're good, honest, law-abiding citizens. They don't bother anybody. They mind their own business. As far as they look to us, they look like pretty good people. And we have a hard time believing that that is somebody that's also going to be in hell. Some of them are churchgoers. Some of them are very benevolent people. And we can't believe that they would be punished. And if punished, certainly not in the same place that God would send a rapist, a child molester, or a murderer. And so then we have to wonder, if God does send them to hell, is a soccer mom going to receive the same punishment as a child molester? Now, first of all, this is very important. Morality does not keep people from punishment. All have sinned is a theological maxim. All have sinned. The Scripture teaches that. But it also teaches that all have not sinned equally. Now notice at the end of verse number 12, it says the dead are judged according to their works. And so that means that their works are going to be examined and they will be punished according to the crimes that they have committed. And so if we know to do that in our court system, we're sure that God knows far better than we know how to make punishment fit the crime. So that's what I want to discuss with you today. So here's the point that we're going to give you and end on today, and that is the degrees of punishment in hell. Hell is not a place of uniform punishment. Hell is not a hot cauldron where everybody burns alike, but the punishment of the sinner is according to his works. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how God is going to make that difference. It just tells us there will be a difference. We also don't understand, and we'll talk about this when we get to the heaven series, but we also don't understand about the degrees of reward that are in heaven. How does someone enjoy heaven more than someone else when all are unmeasurably happy in heaven? I don't know how to explain that, and I'm not tasked with the responsibility of trying to figure all of that out. I just know it's true. So whether we're talking about punishment or whether we're talking about rewards, there are degrees of both, and all in hell suffer horribly, but all don't suffer alike. Now let's see how this is illustrated in the Scripture. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 10, and we can get some insight into this question. In this chapter, Jesus gave his disciples some instructions about preaching the gospel. And let me say that Jesus never made any incidental statements. Everything that Jesus said is important. Everything that he said, we need to look at very closely. We need to go over it with a fine-tooth comb, because everything he says has supreme significance. Now, Jesus was talking about, and he was sending his disciples out to witness to people, and he said that some people will gladly hear you. Some people will invite you into their homes and they'll sit down with you and you can have fellowship with them. They will hear the gospel. You can explain it to them. But in their experience and in ours, we find that most people don't react that way to the gospel. Some people are hostile towards the gospel and some are particularly hostile to the subject that we're talking about right now. They don't like to talk about hell. They don't, want to be, they don't want to be convicted. They don't want their consciences pricked by the consequences of their sin. So this is what Jesus said about how truth will be received. In Matthew 10, verse 13, And if the house be worthy, that is the place where you go, the house that you go in to talk about, to, to that person about the gospel, if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. 
But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Now do you see there in verse number 15, it says, it shall be more tolerable. There we have a comment about proportional punishment. Now notice what Jesus used here as a symbol of this. He says, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Sodom and Gomorrah stand for the wickedest crimes that people can commit. Whenever the Bible wants to use an example of the most despicable sin, it always turns to this example, the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. For example, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 3, he said, For Jerusalem is ruined and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. The show of their countenance doth witness against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. Now you read through the prophets, you'll find that Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Zedekiah, Zechariah rather, all of them make reference to this, the sins of these two cities. And Jesus did the same. He had no tolerance for this sin. Peter talked about that. Jude also spoke of it. And Jude, what he has to say is particularly interesting in relation to our study. He wrote this in uh, the 6th and 7th verses. And the angels which kept not their first estate, he, uh, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now there, he's telling us that demons are linked to the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now that's very powerful stuff. The sins of Sodom and Gomorrah are unacceptable. And if you think that God tolerates that, then you better get a grip on what God thinks, because sodomy is at the top of the list of the crimes. It is against nature. It is against the created order. And when God wanted to use an example of terrible sin, Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah are always the reference. But, listen, listen to this. Jesus adds something that you don't catch in too many places. He said that there is a worse sin. What is the worst sin? It's to hear the gospel and to reject both it and the messenger. What Jesus is saying here is that Sodom and Gomorrah fare better than Christ rejectors who turn their backs on Jesus Christ. And that tells us that people that we think are good moral people have actually committed a horrible crime. It says something else. That there are many people, probably most people, that have never even heard about the gospel. And those people also go to hell. And you say, well, why do they go to hell? Did they reject the gospel? No, they didn't reject the gospel. But they rejected the light that they had and they sinned against it. You can read Romans 1 and you can learn about it there. That sinners are guilty whether or not they know about Jesus Christ. Because they sin against what they know is right. 
They sin against what God has put into the heart, and they reject God in that way. And so God justly condemns them because they're sinners, but He doesn't condemn them for the rejection of Jesus Christ because there is no record of that. They haven't heard of Him, so they don't, they're not condemned for that rejection. They haven't heard the gospel and turned away from it. But here we see that rejection of the gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ is such a horrible crime that Jesus said it is more tolerable in judgment for the sodomites than it is for them. Now hear this well. A terrorist Muslim who doesn't know anything at all about Jesus Christ and has never heard the gospel will not be punished as great as somebody who sits in the church and hears the gospel of Jesus Christ or has it given to him by a soul winner out there. If he rejects it, his punishment is going to be worse. Why? Because he never, because he's heard of Jesus. Sodom never heard of Jesus at all. And they're not going to be judged for the sin of rejection when they've not heard of him. On several occasions, I've given you an example of Someone that I met one day when I was passing out tracks, tracks, that I was walking down the street and there was a husband and a wife that approached me. The wife was lagging just a little bit behind. She was distracted by something else and so I met with her husband first. And I handed him a track and I spoke to him for a few minutes there and he took my track and he told me that he would gladly read it. About that time, his wife caught up and she saw that her husband had the track in her hand And so she grabbed it out of his hand and she threw it back at me and she said, keep that to yourself. We don't want any of that. Now in my flesh, in my flesh, here is a woman that needs, I won't go any further. I, I could tell who's the head of that house. Now what about this? Well, here is a man that was apparently willing to hear, willing to read, willing to listen. But his wife wasn't. She was terribly rebellious about it. Her rejection is what we call aggravated condemnation. If you look at our statement of faith, you'll see that phrase. That those who do not repent and come to Jesus Christ when they've heard the gospel are in aggravated condemnation. If you hear the gospel and you do not come to Christ, you are in aggravated condemnation. That is the worst. Sodom will not escape judgment, but it's going to be worse for those who reject Christ than for them. Now, I want you to hear that because probably most of you in here, you you say that you're saved, and I hope that you are. But if you think that you're saved and you're not sure, then you need to hear this very well because it's much worse for the person who sits in the pew And here's the gospel of Christ over and over again and then goes away without real belief in his heart. That is a horrible thing. And this is actually the opposite of what most people will tell you. They think, well, surely God's going to count this for something. I went to church. I showed up for church. Maybe even I did it every Sunday. I was in church. Surely God's going to count that for something. No, you got it flipped around. You got it wrong. Because that's your worst condemnation if you come to church and you hear the message over and over and over again and you refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. It's going to be far worse for the person who rejects the gospel than to never have heard it at all. And so if you claim to be a believer, but there's little or no evidence in your life that you actually are, you ought to get out on your knees right now and plead for God to save you. God, have mercy on my soul. I don't want to be a Christ rejecter. Plead for God to save you. Now, if you leave this life without Christ, it doesn't matter how close that you came to belief. 
It doesn't matter how close you are to the house of God and who you know and who your friends are and if they're all Christians. That doesn't matter because your close proximity to the truth is actually your worst nightmare if you don't believe. You are in aggravated condemnation and multiple acts of aggravated condemnation. Where do I get that kind of language? Listen to Hebrews 10 verse 29. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye... Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite under the Spirit of grace? To hear what Christ did for sinners and then to reject the sacrifice of the cross is the same, according to this scripture, as trampling on the blood of Jesus Christ. The worst punishment is reserved for those who hear about Jesus and say, we want none of that. Keep it to yourself. Now, Jesus gave another example in Matthew chapter 11. I'm not going to go there and read it. But he returned to this subject because he preached hell often. Did you know that? Jesus preached hell often. And he gave an example of two cities, two cities in Galilee, in Israel, called Chorazin and Bethsaida. And in those two cities, Jesus did many, many of his miracles. People there would not believe in him. And Jesus said that if he had done the same miracles that he did there in the two wicked Gentile cities of Tyre and Sidon, that they would have repented long ago. They would have come to him. And so what he said was, it'll be more tolerable for those wicked Gentile cities than it would be for those Jews who had the Son of God there, who heard the message from Him, who heard about eternal life and heard what Jesus would do, the ones who are in God's chosen nation are going to be treated worse in hell than those in those wicked Gentile cities. It just keeps telling us that rejection of the gospel, that is the most serious offense. Now understand this for sure. This doesn't mean that people who don't hear the gospel will not be in hell. It does not mean that moral unbelievers will not suffer and go to hell. Both those classes are guilty. They will be punished. But the degree of sin and the punishment is different. Now, I want you to turn also to Luke chapter 12, if you will. And here, Jesus illustrates degrees of punishment with a parable. And this is clear. We can't really miss the meaning of this. So I think that we ought to read it. Probably Jesus' clearest statements on, on uh, punishment. In Luke chapter 12, in verse 42, degrees of punishment. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth, I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. There he's talking about believers, people who listen to what God says. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers, and that servant which knew the Lord's will, and prepared not himself, 
neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not, and did commit things worthy of stripes, even though he didn't know about it, in other words, shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be much required, and to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. So there you see many stripes on some, fewer stripes on others. That is about degrees of punishment. So the more that you know about Christ, then the more it's going to be required of you. You can't miss that. If you hear the gospel and you do not believe, the punishment will be greater. Now let me have you think for just a moment about those who would hide this truth. What about the preacher who stands in a pulpit and says the wrong thing? Or he says, I don't want to preach about hell, and I don't want to preach about punishment because people already feel too bad about these things. I could have approached that subject this way this morning and just said, you know, we could talk about hell, but I don't think that we will. You're depressed. It's raining outside. Uh, you know, it's, it's a bad day. Let's don't talk about hell. Well, there's preachers that do that every Sunday. No matter what it is, people are just too depressed to hear about hell. But what about that preacher who's been told to preach it? It's in the Bible, and yet he does not warn people about hell. Well, interesting, the Bible addresses that question, that preachers and teachers are under the threat of greater punishment. Satan and his, has his false preachers, and they're in false churches, and they teach lies. And they'll tell people, everybody's fine. It's, it's okay, everything's fine, you're safe and secure, but they're really not. So the preacher who says, you know, you don't need to hear about that bad stuff, well, here we've got a real problem here. You know, Joel Osteen said that he wasn't called to, to tell people that they're sinners. He's called to tell people about a positive message. And I am positive that he will have greater judgment because of what he didn't tell people, because he watered down the gospel or gave no gospel at all. Is there worse punishment for what they do? This is what James wrote, James 3, verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, that means teachers, preachers, so on, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In other words, we have greater responsibility. Now, admittedly, because we want to stick close to the Scriptures and say what James is saying, he's actually talking about true preachers here, ones who are real believers. They have a great responsibility to preach the truth, and God holds them accountable. But if you take that and you flip it around and you apply that to the false teacher, the results of that become absolutely horrific. Because there are people that are sitting in the pews and they believe a lie. They have been deluded by the devil and the, and the preacher up there, he perpetuates that lie and those people die and go to hell and they will spend eternity in hell. But that preacher who told them those things will go to hell with bells on. You understand what I'm saying? It is so much worse because there are degrees of punishment in hell for someone who is supposed to preach the truth and does not preach it who stands in a pulpit and preaches a lie to people, he's going to hell where he'll suffer punishment worse than anybody that's there. That's what the Word of God is saying to us. Now that's also Peter's subject in 2 Peter chapter 2. I want you to take a look there. 2 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to notice how scary this thing is. Uh, I, I don't have time to read the whole chapter, and it's all consumed with this, but the whole thing here is a scathing condemnation of false Preachers. Now let, let me just read to you a little bit of it. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, 
even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. I know that's an interesting term. They will make merchandise of you. I kind of think about these preachers who sell all their books with all their lies and all the millions of dollars that are made there. They're making merchandise of the souls of people. And he says, Whose judgment now the long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. Now there he's just comparing these people to demons that would do such things. Now, verse number 12. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed speak evil of the things that they understand not and shall utterly perish in their own corruption and shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that counted pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. Verse 17, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. That's scary stuff. The guy in the pulpit with a toothy grin had better be happy now, because the worst punishment is reserved for him. Do you understand this? There are degrees of punishment in hell. Now, we're getting close to the end of the message, so stick with me just a little bit longer. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Rejection of Christ is a terrible sin, and that's, that's where I want to go back to before we, as we finish today. Paul made some interesting remarks in Romans 2, and we need to listen to this very carefully. Romans chapter 2 and verse number 1. Therefore... Thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doeth the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them would do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart, treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds. Sounds like John and... Revelation 20 doesn't. He will render to every man according to his deeds. But here's the part that I want you to get. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Now let me say first that to those of you hearing the message in this congregation or by way of recording, it is not too late to escape aggravated condemnation. But let's suppose suppose for a minute that you haven't heard. You have heard because I've just told you. But let's suppose that you haven't heard. This is some good insight for your friends who aren't believers. And so you may say, by what I've said today, well, they're not believers, so I don't want to tell them this. Because if I tell them this, and they remain in unbelief, then it's going to be worse for them than if I didn't tell them at all. And so we have that human reasoning that we use. Don't think that hell is going to be comfortable for anybody. It won't. Now, here's the problem, though. 
how you're not going to get around all of those things. I just won't tell, and then it's not going to be so bad because things are really going to be bad, I think, especially for people who live in America. It's going to be bad. The goodness of God, it says, leads us to repentance. God is forbearing. God is long-suffering towards us. God wants America to repent. So we look at what God's goodness has given to us in, in our country. The poorest here are better off than they are anyplace else. Those of us here, most of us, I think probably all of us, are in the middle class. And we are rich compared to the rest of the world. Most countries of the world, we have two cars in the garage. We have nice houses that we live in. We have plenty of food to eat. We have fun vacations. God is good to us. God is a great provider for us. But what do we do to God? We spit on him. We deny him. We take what God gives for granted. We reach up. We grab it out of his hand. And then we say, we don't want God to rule over us. Take everything that he has, but we don't want God to rule over us. So we have good churches, and there are good preachers. The gospel's being preached, and nobody seems to want it. Well, the goodness of God says, repent, turn from your sins, recognize that God gave it. God says, see that I've done this, be thankful for that, and we do nothing. Oh, yes, we do do something, don't we? We do do something. We pass laws, and we praise evil. We applaud immorality. And we say, how courageous it is for that person to come out of the closet. And like Israel, we parade our sins in front of the world. Sodom and Gomorrah sin with courage. And that's what we do. We sin with courage, and we don't abhor our sins with contempt. So what do you think is going to happen in a situation like that? The punishment is going to be greater because all the advantages that we have are greater, greater than any place in the world. And so if you as American receive good at the hand of God and then return that by wallowing in your sin and going on just like you are, rejection of Christ, it's going to be far, far worse than for any other people in the rest of the world. Isaiah f says in verse, uh, chapter 5, Woe unto them that call evil good, and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink, which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Therefore, as the fire devoureth the stubble and the flame consumeth the chaff, so their root shall be as rottenness and their blossoms shall go up as dust because they have cast away the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. There are degrees of punishment in hell. And the Word of God says that every day that you live without Jesus Christ, you are adding to the punishment. You are deepening the degree of punishment. How? Because every day that you don't know Christ, you go on sinning, and those things just keep adding up, and you're in an advantage position because of who you are, where you are, what you've heard. And if you go on, what does the Bible say? You are treasuring up wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Let me give you one final scripture that teaches degrees of punishment. Let's go to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I read one, one part of this just a moment ago, so we'll finish with this. 
And then we'll have more to say about these things in the next two weeks. Hebrews chapter 10, and verse number 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. That tells us that if you reject Christ, there's no other way. Don't go looking for another way. Don't try to find another way to get to heaven because there isn't one. You reject him, there's nothing else. But what do you have? Verse 27. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment... Suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Now, let me just tell you something about that very, very quickly. That there, the author of Hebrews is comparing what happened in the Old Testament, of how terrible it was for someone to reject the one true living God in the Old Testament, but they didn't have the full revelation of Jesus Christ like we have. But now in the New Testament era, people have been given that revelation, the full revelation of who Christ is, and if they turn from it, he's saying that the punishment for that is going to be greater from those idolaters that are in the Old Testament. Verse 30, For we know him that said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The worst sin is the rejection of of the gospel. And God has a word for those who do. Vengeance. I will recompense, saith the Lord. Judgment is coming. Don't be deluded by the devil to think that it's not going to happen. It will happen. And the worst will happen if you reject the gospel after hearing it today. Now, if you're saved, get a copy of this sermon. Give it to somebody who's lost. Give it to a friend Give it to a family member. Most of you, I think, are saved. So just share this with someone else. Every day without Christ is a day that deepens the darkness of hell. Every day that you go on without Christ, it makes it so much worse for the day that you go to judgment to have your sins opened up for everyone to see and then for God to judge you according to what you have done. And there at the top of that list will be this sin. He rejected Jesus Christ. On January the 17th, Pastor Smith stood in the pulpit of Brian Baptist Church and preached a message about hell, and the record will be there. And it will say, He told you, receive Christ, or it'll be worse for you. And it'll say, He rejected, she rejected Jesus Christ. I hope that doesn't happen to you. I hope it doesn't. Trust Him and you'll escape the punishment of hell. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now. We confess our sins. We confess that we haven't done what we should do. We haven't been faithful as we should be. But we are thankful for this, that Jesus Christ stands good in righteousness for those who have believed in him. Lord, if we know you, we're not going to be at the judgment that I've just talked about. All of our sins are paid for. Everything is taken care of because Jesus is our righteousness. His goodness takes over from all of our badness, wipes it all out, makes it clean, lets lets us stand clean and white before you at judgment. 
uh, and that judgment will be a judgment for how we'll be rewarded for faithful service, not for sins that we have committed. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you today. The gospel has gone out. The, it's been preached. The consequences of unbelief are clear. It's been stated as clearly as I can make it. Lord, cause someone to understand it and to turn to you today in belief and know that their sins are forgiven, paid for, and they can go to heaven when they die. Help us, Lord, in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, the only thing that separates you from everything that I've talked about right now is not 20 years until you reach the age of 65, 30 years until you get to 75, or for some of you, a year before you reach 18. The only thing that separates you from an eternity in hell is the next breath. That's it. You stand precariously over the pit of hell, ready to fall in at any time. I'll mention this later on, Jonathan Edwards' great sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. That's the way that he illustrated, like a spider being held like with a spider's web over a great pit of this cauldron of fire, ready for it to break and fall in at any time. That's what we face. How many people are going to die on the highways today because of rain or whatever, accidents and so forth, You're never expecting that in a moment's time, they would be in the eternity of hell. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to come to Jesus Christ. Don't put it off. Believe in him now. Because that next breath could be the very last one. And when that happens, it's too late. You go to judgment and it does not change from there. There are no second chances for this. That's why the Bible says believe it now. Do it. If you need to talk to somebody here and you want more explanation, we're happy to do that. Men in the back, Pauline's on the front. Anybody that wants more information, I'll be here after the service. We don't want anybody to die without Jesus Christ. We're happy to talk to anybody about this subject. Let's sing one more verse of our song. Pray that God convicts your heart and gives you the faith of Jesus Christ. Last verse. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.